0: Revolution marches on, my friends. I am Jeff Cobb, and you are tuned in to Episode 9 of the Learning Revolution Podcast. My guest today is a revolutionary in his own right. Tom Kuhlman really took the e-learning world by storm several years ago when he launched the Rapid e-Learning blog for Articulate. Articulate. You may be familiar with Articulate. They are the company that makes the very popular Articulate presenter software for converting PowerPoint into flash-based online learning. And they've more recently introduced a product called Storyline, which looks like it's also doing very well in the market. The rapid eLearning blog was a move by Articulate to use educational content as a way to engage its market. And it's really turned out to be a pretty amazing phenomenon. As I mentioned in the interview with Tom, I can remember seeing an initial announcement about the Rapid E-Learning blog back in, I believe it was 2007, thereabouts, and then realizing a few days later that he already had several thousand people signed up, which I was just shocked by that there would be that many people interested in Rapid E-Learning. But when I interviewed Tom earlier in 2012, which is when I actually did this interview, he was getting close to 100,000 subscribers at that point, and he's now past that point. So more than 100,000 people are subscribed and, and tuned in to what Tom is writing on the Rapid E-Learning blog, and they're not just subscribed. You can go there and see that people are engaged, people are commenting. This is a, a, a powerful platform that he has developed. In any case, we'll find out more from Tom about the blog and about his perspectives on e-learning and learning in general. After all, what Tom does on the blog day after day is give some very practical tips about how you as an expert uh, can create uh, excellent online education experiences. And in fact, one of the things I asked Tom about, and, and this is something I quote him on in the book, Leading the Learning Revolution, is, is his tips for how your average subject matter expert can create a decent piece of online education. Most experts, after all, don't tend to be professional instructional designers or e-learning developers. So what can they do to create something that's actually going to be an engaging product? So listen in for Tom's advice on that. Also, remember that there are always show notes for these podcasts. You can grab the notes for this episode at learningrevolution.net slash episode 9. And while you're at it, I would be truly grateful if you would stop by iTunes and do a quick review for the podcast, or at the very least, just click on the rating stars. Hopefully, you feel like the Learning Revolution podcast deserves five stars, and that only takes a few seconds to do. You can get there quickly by going to learningrevolution.net slash iTunes. For now, though, let's get rolling on the interview with Tom Kuhlman. Well, I am here today with Tom Kuhlman, who is the Vice President of Community for Articulate, uh, which uh, is the company that makes the uh, ubiqui- ubiquitous uh, Articulate series of rapid e-learning products. So, uh, Tom, welcome! Thanks so much for taking some time to, to join me. Thank you. Now, I, I have to start out with a question that, uh, to be honest, has been you know in, in the back of my mind uh, probably for for years now. I was I was around. When the the Rapid E Learning blog launched, you know, so I, I saw the launch happen. I you know, probably read about it on a blog somewhere or something like that, and and went and looked at it and, and downloaded your ebook uh, pretty much immediately. And I was astounded to see, you know, in the, in the process of, uh, I guess, a day or a few days, um, you know, several thousand people come and sign up for it. But even then, I, I never would have thought that a, a blog focused on e learning would you know, come close to reaching 100,000 subscribers, which is where you are now. Uh, you're 90,000 plus and probably heading past it. So what what deep need are, are you serving with that blog? And, and, and did you have any idea that it was that big when you started?
1: Yeah, I'm actually kind of surprised, too. I didn't realize there's that many people interested in e-learning. Um, you know, when we launched the blog... I I think you know I I, I was kind of new to the whole blogging thing and um, when we I was looking at other blogs out there and, and at that time probably the most popular e-learning blog might have had you know four thousand or so subscribers so I was thinking that you know if I can get fifteen thousand subscribers I'd be happy mm-hmm. and, um, and lo and behold yeah we're we're I think this week I hit ninety two thousand so it's it's really been successful for us um as far as like needs and all of that i i think one of the things that works for me and and what i do is one is i actually uh have built e-learning courses so i've i've worked for small organizations where i was the only person i've done some consulting and some freelance stuff and then i've um, you know, worked for larger organizations as well, you know, multi-billion dollar organizations where, you, where we had developers and, you know, flash programmers and things like that. So I think the fact that I can speak to a pretty broad range of uh, developers and, and kind of the, the situations they go through, I think helps. I actually like to keep it very practical and and, and pretty simple. You know, I don't really tackle a lot of, like, theoretical stuff or controversial type things or the hot new, uh, buzz in the industry or anything like that. I just kind of, it's like, you know, what are the practical tips and tricks and what are things I can do that actually help, uh, people do their jobs. And my thought is that, you know, if I can give you three practical, simple tips, you know, as you gain experience, you can fill in the gaps anyway. And so it's, I see it as kind of like a stepping stool to help people uh, get a little bit better at what they do. And 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 the reality is, from the rapid e-learning perspective, you have a lot of people who uh, don't come from a programming mm-hmm. uh, background, and so you have people who, you know, they might have been like a site safety manager, and now all of a sudden they're required to build e-learning courses, or right. they were an HR admin, and now all of a sudden you're building e-learning courses, or you were doing stand-up training, and now you're building e-learning courses. So they... They come into this with you know, no graphic design background, no programming background, no real understanding of e-learning technology and web technology. And and I think the blog kind of helps uh, make a transition for them. So I think in that sense, um, I, th- I think that's why it's, it's proven successful, just because it is pretty simple and it, and it kind of is that stepping stone for a lot of beginning people.
0: Right, right. And, and do you think of yourself... Um... You know, as teaching, you know, as a teacher, do you consider this a, a form of continuing education for the people who are who are using the blog?
1: Yeah, you know, I, you know, when we write the blog, I mean, if you look at the blog, there are no Articulate ads on there, and um, and there's really not a lot of mention about our products in the blog. Most of the times, the only mention I'll have in there is if I'm giving something away that you know might benefit of people who are using the tools or, you know, the the demos I'm building. Um, So um, from a teaching perspective, you know, as an Articulate, you know, I work for Articulate, so what I'm most interested in is that you've invested in purchasing the software and I want to make sure that you're going to get the most value out of those tools and so that's our primary goal is let's help people who are purchasing the software and the secondary goal is let's make a contribution to the e-learning community so we'll help people you know we're in the mix anyway if people are looking for tools and uh... you know they may not be an articulate user now but they go to another organization and they may be an articulate user so anything we can do uh... to help people and and i and i would say i i do see um, what we do with the blog and then uh, kind of the, our e-learning community, I see that as an extension of the blog mm-hmm. uh, for, for longer conversations. I do see that as kind of a, an informal continuing education and a lot of really good content in there. And then if you're connected in the community, that connection to your peers
0: is really valuable as well. Right, right. And, and what's your view overall? I mean, you've been in the business for a, a long time, and um, you know, I, I, I cut my teeth on e-learning back in – the mid-90s when, um, you know, we were sometimes spending six figures to, to create a, a decent e-learning course. How do you feel Rapid uh, e-learning has has transformed the, the, the training and education landscape in, in general?
1: Yeah, there's a, a few things. One is I, I like to think that the, the Rapid e-learning software, and I don't even know if Rapid's the right word anymore because a lot of people who are just coming into it they're Mm -hmm. like hey where's they email me where's the rapid part of rapid e-learning you know but if you were starting years ago like you were saying Mm -hmm. you know when i was doing this stuff early on you know you had an instructional designer you had a graphic person uh, you'd have a programmer who's working in flash or Authorware one of those tools or maybe a web uh, other web technology um so you had a you had a, a team of people building courses, and so it took longer. You had a lot more meetings, you know all that type of stuff cost more um, and then the uh, rapid authoring tools came on board. so I think um, what the the rapid tools do if we want to use the word is that uh, one is they've taken the the primarily that need to program away from the person. Mm-hmm. Using Flash and PowerPoint. So, when you're working in PowerPoint, basically what those PowerPoint to Flash tools do is they just let you author everything in PowerPoint and they convert what you create in PowerPoint to a Flash movie. So, you know, in Flash, and there's really only so many things you can do with content on the screen. Without the interactive elements, so you've got you can move things, you put text, shapes, pictures, and you can do that in flash, you can do it in PowerPoint what 's nice is if you know how to use PowerPoint, uh, you don't have to learn to program, and then whatever you do in PowerPoint for the most part is transferred into a flash product mm-hmm. so um, in that sense it's taken the programming out of the hands. The other thing I think, and it's kind of funny because most of the critics of the rapid authoring I find are vendors who were selling e-learning courses or e-learning production. Mm. Now, you know, they go to the organizations, and the organizations are saying, well, you know, you are kind of expensive. You know, we bought Sally and Joe copies of these e-learning tools, and they're going to start building the courses. Now, there's, you know, pros and cons to that approach, but that's what they're running into, and so they're complaining about rapid e-learning and, and all of that. But what I think is kind of cool is it's kind of democratized the market so used to be if you didn't have money you didn't build an e-learning course it was an all-or-nothing proposition right today the tools make you know make anybody an e-learning author doesn't mean every course they build is good Mm -hmm. but it does give everybody the capacity uh... to do that and and i think that's good and and what i see as a positive in all of that is you know when I was getting started, almost all the conversation was around programming, and you know I wasn't a programmer, so I would be working on a course and If I had some ideas about interactivity or something I might want to try, you know, I was always at the whim of the programmer who would tell me if you could or couldn't do something and you know a lot of times I kind of suspected we could, but the <laughs> programmer just didn't want to do it right, right. <laughs> so you know now i don't I don't have that as an issue right. uh, for the most part and the tools are getting easier and it's kind of given me the power to build that and then the the positive to that is instead of talking about programming and technology you go to conferences now and everybody's talking about how do i build a uh, better e-learning course right. you know so they are focusing on the instructional design because now they know well, i can build it i just now need to build something
0: that's good right right well so o- along those lines cuz you know obviously you, you give people these very easy tools to use, so you know suddenly people who are not instructional designers um, have it in their power to to use PowerPoint, which you know frankly often gets abused in, in, in the first place, and, and many people don't like PowerPoint, but they can now use that to make a course, and it's possible they're not going to make you know, they're going to make something that's not all that great. So you know, let's say that uh, you're a, a subject matter expert, you know maybe a trainer, a speaker, a consultant, and you're thinking. I've got all this great knowledge i can I can take it online i can I can build a business around this. I'm going to make some some e-learning courses what is what are the you know just key skills or, or knowledge you think they have to have and I know the whole blog is about this, but if you had to name you know a few things that the people just need to know or or need to have some skill at if they're going to realistically take their knowledge and and turn it into a great course online.
1: Yeah, I think the, well, there are a few things. So one is you've got you've got to have this this ability to know um, what content needs to be in your course and what doesn't need to be in your course. Mm. You know, a lot of courses are driven by reading things on the screen. Well, if you're going to have somebody read on a screen, then instead of building a course, maybe all they need is a PDF. If you, if you still want to put it right. electronic, make it available on the screen. You know, if you're just having them read screens of information, then, you know, maybe a PDF is a better solution than, than uh, an authored course. Although I personally see it all as the same thing. So whether I'm looking at text in the PDF or I'm looking at text on PowerPoint slides, if it's the same text, to me, it doesn't really make a difference. I think the, the fact that it looks like an e-learning course, though, does uh, impact people. You know, they, they expect something different. But, mm-hmm. you know, essentially, you're still just reading something on the screen. Um, so it's it's kind of this understanding of how do how do I what what content's appropriate for e-learning and you know what's appropriate for other mediums, and then I think uh, the opportunities I see because I look at a lot of courses. We you know we have the Guru competition, so we get to see a lot of what people are doing that way, and then I get a lot of blog readers who will email me and let me see. You know they want feedback on what they're doing, mm. and I would say probably the two or three biggest opportunities for people and which would then go to the skills that you need. Uh, the biggest one is probably the whole visual design. So you've got two facets to visual design. You've got the, uh, what we would normally call the bells and whistles. So the look and feel of the course. And that's an important part of it because e-learning is a mostly me- uh, visual medium and uh, people are drawn to those things uh, that look good and make them feel good and you know so there's an emotional connection uh, Mm -hmm. to what they're doing they like to click things they like to roll their mouse over buttons and move things around and so that's an important part but then with that look and feel of it you've also got like say the instructional part of the look and feel so having something that looks good and then having something that looks appropriate uh, to your content and then just those basic graphic design skills. So, you know, I look at a lot of courses, and if, if they would just have the skill set to know, you know, how to put things, lay things out on the screen, make your buttons look like buttons, make, you know, everything look consistent, look like it all belongs uh, to a, to the same course um, and those types of things. And then that, that the other part, and it's a little bit more involved, is the... Um, interactivity so i always call it the touching the screen you now how do i get the learner to touch the screen so it's kind of like the visuals you've got two facets so one part of touching the screen is just the experience of of moving things around and the mouse overs and, and that part and then the other part is the cognitive or the uh... letting them do things on the screen with the content to practice using uh... the information you give them Right. The, unfortunately that part requires a little bit of Programming from the articulate side, though, what is good we 've got that storyline product that 's about to ship, and um, building that type of interactivity is about as simple as working in PowerPoint, so I think people will really I like that because we 've kind of pushed that rapid authoring hmm. uh, forward quite a bit
0: uh, interesting okay um, and, and so I mean you know by the time you 've put together something in uh, articulate or or a similar type of tool. Uh, I mean that's providing a, a pretty structured, um, you know, relatively formal sort of experience, but uh you know, there's now this whole realm of social learning out there. Um I mean social learning's always existed, but all these new tools that uh, uh provide these informal, less structured uh learning experiences. How do you how do you see the the intersection of you know the the more structured experience and these and these less formal uh experiences?
1: Yeah, I think um You know, there's this whole, we, you know, me and then my team as well, we kind of manage our user community. And so we kind of are like that, you know, Mm -hmm. we've got this bridge between some formal instruction, because you could kind of think of the blog as a more formal instruction. Then you've got all this informal between uh, what we're doing in Facebook and Twitter and then our community discussions. Um, I think in organizations and then, you know, probably just learning in in the big picture, Um, you've got things today that you didn't have a few years ago. So one is, you know, that anybody can create a YouTube video, right? And so anybody – and you look at, like, the Khan Academy and the the success he's had with that. And we see that, like, internally we use the Screener product where we can create these five-minute tutorials, and they're they're there, and anybody has access to them. So you've got kind of this quick-hit, informal – uh, education and, and essentially anybody at this point now is an expert. So you know, everybody knows something. They have something they could teach up people. So being able to, uh, leverage that where years ago you had no way to capture a person's knowledge and then make it available to other people, not, not as easy as it is today. But mm-hmm. now you've got all this technology. So you, you in a sense, you've got uh, a vehicle to let anybody share their learning and share what they know. And then, uh, at the other side, you've got to have somebody who kind of aggregates all that and then kind of acts as the curator because y- you, there's so much. I always tell people all this social media and everything. It's like you swim out in, into the Amazon River, you know, maybe right before a waterfall or something and you stand on a rock. <laughs> Everybody just, everything's just coming at you and you, you feel if you're not, even if you're not, I mean, if you're in it or not, in it, you just feel overwhelmed with all of this stuff that's just coming at you, you know, take away all the junk and the, the Justin Bieber tweets and all that. <laughs> but you know, there's a ton of great information that just is passing you by and it's easy to feel like I'm missing out. I'm doing my work and, but I'm missing out on all this potential learning and knowledge. All right. So you've got to have in a sense these authorities or these experts who kind of serve and probably again like a teacher, right? right. <laughs> who collects and aggregates data and and then uh is kinda of the curator of this information to say, you know, I'm I'm gonna go out with the net and scoop up the information that's flowing through the river and I'm gonna sort it and I kinda you know it's kinda what I do with my blog, you know, I kinda have a sense of what the blog readers need. And so in a sense, I'm kind of a curator of information that's out there informally, and I'm going to make that then available to you. So, you be, so it's kind of like a convenience store, you know, all the stuff's on the shelf for you to go to. You don't have to go to every single specialty store uh, to get that. So I think the that blending of the formal and informal uh, is good, and it creates a lot of opportunities, but it also creates... Um, this responsibility to somehow package all of that
0: right right yeah and i i think that's a uh, uh, something that's so so challenging to a lot of the at least the types of organizations that that i work with uh is a um even if they actually have the expertise on staff uh and these are you know trade and professional associations who may not themselves be the experts you know so they're relying on on other experts to, to bring them the information but then they they think about the the resources it may take to uh to engage in, in in that whole process of curation that um that you're describing and you know a lot of those organizations uh and i think this is still very common across the training world and I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on it um really fall back on on the webinar really is is the main thing that they're able to do when it comes to online um and uh you know and i and i, I Personally, I think the webinar has uh, the benefits as a form, um, but uh, but I love your your perspective on that. I know I think you've recently um, delivered some some webinars, maybe with the uh, eLearning Guild. Uh, what do you what do you think about that as a as a as a tool?
1: Well, I think it's you know it's again it's another um, good tool, and you know there are good webinars and bad webinars. Um, what I like about webinars is that uh, in some ways. From a teaching perspective, I like it because nobody sees me, so I can actually right. look at my notes. Nobody knows if I'm reading or or whatever I'm doing right where like if I'm doing something live, you know normally I don't have any notes with me, and so I'm kind of doing a lot of it from memory or from you know from having practiced that but I'm it's a little different so there's a comfort being able to have everything at my fingertips you know kind of what's behind the curtain nobody knows right Right. Um, I like that and then the fact that you can record those and make those available and you know you tie that to communities and now this whole asynchronous nature of learning is really valuable so you can capture this knowledge you don't have to be there in real time you have all this information available I think to me, what are the, some of the negatives with the webinars? Are and you know, I'm I'm kind of a goofy guy, and so I'll have jokes and stuff that kind of help me make up for my my uh, um, presenting deficiencies. <laughs> 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 so you know, I know I'm not a, the most dynamic presenter in the world, but I can kind of make up with it, make up some of the ground with you know some goofy jokes or whatever. Right? <laughs> And that works live, right? Because you can get a sense, you know, like a stand-up comic. You get a sense of whether people are not are, are with you, and and if they, you know, if they're tracking, they laugh, all that stuff. You can kind of that feeds off of that. You get you can see their body language. You can tell if they're getting bored or they're confused. When you're in a um, online webinar, uh, that's not always there, and it's hard to create unless you only have like you know, a dozen people or just a handful of people, it's hard to create real conversation in a webinar mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, if you get 20 people chatting together, all of a sudden it's just out of control, just trying to stay on top of the chat stream. And so, you know, that lack of human connection is is kind of, I think, kind of problematic with the webinars. Um, so, again, blending that somehow with the online, so, some sort of community or forum is valuable. The other thing that I think... Um, probably should be considered from webinars, because I've done quite a few of them now. I don't know, I don't like to sit and watch long videos on YouTube. You know, somebody will send me uh, a video. The first thing I do, they'll say, hey, this is really funny. The first thing I do is I look at how long it is. You know, if it's Mm. five minutes long, I'm not watching it. You know, if it's 90 seconds, I'll probably watch it. What I like about Screener, like the tutorials that we do, they're always five minutes, so you know you're not obligated to more than five minutes. But you get webinars, and you know, some of these webinars are kind of structured like our um, normal conference presentations. So you, you have these hour-long right. webinars, and I don't know if that's really valuable. I think you'd be better off having real quick 15- to 20-minute webinars and just you know break your content up and just have these as, as quick-hit sessions. And then I think you can be a little bit more focused as well. Mm -hmm. Nobody does it that way. Everybody kind of follows the way we do our conference presentations, where they're typically like an hour long uh, webinars. But, you know, I just know there are a lot of times I'll see somebody speaking, you know, Training Magazine Network or some Learning Guild. They'll have these interesting speakers on. And you want to watch them, and then it's like, man, that's an hour. I got to sit there and listen to this person for an hour. And I kind of wonder that's what people think when (laughs) when I'm doing them as well. And so, you know, I wonder if I'm doing webinars if there's not a better, if it's not better than to think about, let's make these shorter. Yeah. In some sense, you can. Again, aggregate and package the content a little better as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the significant issues out there around webinars is um, the, the need to associate continuing education credit with them in many instances, and of course, that credit is doled out in, in, in most uh, fields in an hour-long amount. So you're kind of stuck with this hour-long format because of the, you know, the, um, the validation mechanism for them. Uh, and I, so I think the, that's probably going to have to change at some point, or, or or there's going to have to be some, something that happens that, that shakes that up a little bit. Um, but, you know, and then speaking of shaking things up, uh, what do you see, you know, coming down the pipe right now uh, that's got you most excited in, in the world of, I and mean, it doesn't have to just be e learning, it can be, you know, le- learning in, in general. Are there things that you're, you're tuning into that you think uh, are, are going to really shake things up?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, we, my wife and I, we homeschool. Mm. You no know, a, a lot of people, it's funny because I'm in the educational field, and so there's people who have very strong opinions, pro and con, <laughs> right. homeschooling. And you know, when I was going through my master's program, we were, a lot of our conversation was about educational reform. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was reading this book, I think the guy's name was John Holt, and he talked about how you know, I don't know how many millions of 10 million kids or something mm-hmm. that go to public school system. But he's saying, you know, I got 10 million people and they all basically have to go through the exact same, he called it the gulag. Mm. You all have to go through the exact same educational process. So, but nobody would sell a product like that, right? So like articulate, you know, we're really proud of our tools. I think what we do is, you know, top of the line, but you know, there are other PowerPoint to flash products. So it would be ridiculous for us to say, you know, this is the only PowerPoint to flash tool that you can ever use that will only meet your needs and and all that. So you have this competitive landscape where you have uh, people for whatever reasons can choose whatever tools they want to choose to do what they want to do. And yet in education, you know, that hasn't really been the case. But you go to like the homeschooling and in, in market, you go to these, um, like in Washington State where I'm at, they have the Washington Homeschool Organization, which is a secular homeschool organization. And they have a their conference every year. And you go in there, and they have vendors that will run from, like, Mennonite-type instruction all the way to the most advanced kind of technology instruction. So you see a pretty broad range of uh, educational approaches. So I think you look at this convergence of the easy authoring or easy content creation, you know, from YouTube to the rapid authoring tools to, you know, screencasting to all these different, you know, there's those timeline Gadgety things, all sorts of capabilities that you have now to create content and make it available, the, the ability for anybody to share their expertise. And then you look at the success of the Khan Academy and kind of that approach. Mm-hmm. I think what I find is exciting is it kind of opens the door to education to let people think about uh, different ways to teach that, you know, you can still have a commitment to, like in our countries, to public education, but does public education have to be exactly the same for every single person? Right. And I think of a while back, I had read um, this blog post, which was probably like seven, eight years ago. And uh, this guy, you know, he's a successful blogger, and he's talking about how the mainstream media, the newspapers were starting to lose uh... money from the subscriptions because you could go online and read the news and all that and so they started blaming the bloggers and they said, you know the bloggers are fragmenting the market and now all of a sudden the money that was available to us is all gone because the bloggers have come in and they fragmented the market and the blogger made the point and i think it's true for rapid e-learning and i think it's we see it true for education whether it's public or you know higher ed The markets always been fragmented the problem is you've had a handful of people who've controlled the market so mm-hmm. in publishing you had you know a few major publishers you had a few major networks you know a few major radio conglomerates and an education you know you kind of have a monopoly in the, the public education and this universities kind of have a, a a monopoly on a lot of things and um so there You know, a lot of people now are complaining about the con approach and some of that. But the reality is the market's always been fragmented, but there's just been a few people that have served that market. But the technology now is kind of opening that up. So that's what I find most exciting is that I don't know what all those changes mean, but I think the fact that you give choices to people Mm -hmm. and it's liberating, you know, for uh, Western nations and these kind of more industrialized nations – it, it creates opportunities for systems that are old and stagnant and for developing nations you know now they can compete the the fact right. that they can go online and watch a con academy where you know that information was never going to be available to them now it's freely available to them i think creates all sorts of exciting opportunities
0: mm-hmm. yeah definitely definitely i think uh you're 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 Touching on some of the the very themes that have uh, driven me to to write the book that I'm writing, though I'm, I'm, I'm you know more focused in the world of uh, adult learning and continuing education, but I think what Khan in, in particular has done in uh, in K through 12 is just uh, well, it's it's going to be a model for a lot of other things. Right. So. Well, Tom, I, I truly appreciate your, your taking the time to, to talk and, and share your perspectives, and um and certainly appreciate uh, everything you do over at the uh, the Rapid E-learning blog, and then within the Articulate uh, community. I'm continually pointing people in your direction to uh, to learn, uh, basically, and 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 you know help them along their way with their e-learning efforts. So so thank you very much. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. That wraps up my interview with Tom Coolman. You can find Tom and the Rapid E-Learning blog online at www.articulate.com/rapid-e-learning. While you're there, I strongly recommend that you subscribe and grab the free download of the Insider's Guide to Becoming a Rapid E-Learning Pro. That's a 46-page ebook that's packed with tips that'll really help you get off the ground with your e-learning efforts. I'd also be grateful if you're enjoying the podcast, if you would spread the word about it. If you know someone who is in or wants to be in the business of adult education, training or professional development, and that might mean a speaker, a trainer, a consultant or some other type of expert, it might mean a colleague at a trade or professional association or a training firm. If you know someone like that, I'd really appreciate it if you would tell them about the podcast. One easy way to do that is to go to learningrevolution.net slash share, and that will automatically populate a tweet that you can send out to your network. But of course, you can also post on Facebook or Google Plus or LinkedIn or email somebody about it or just mention it in good old-fashioned conversation. Remember, too, that there are show notes for every episode. And for this episode, you can get the notes at learningrevolution.net slash episode 9. That's it for this show. This is Jeff Cobb signing off from the revolution.